You're listening to Rome School. Okay, God, what's your next question? Um, do you like using technology? Do I what? Like using technology. Not at all. See, that that thing is, is worth two warm farts. <laughs> That's about it. Go ahead. What's the next question? I don't well, like technology at all. I'd rather just have some acoustic guitars and, and, string, and some strings. That's a guy named Fat Dog. He owns Subway Guitars in Berkeley, California. As is often the case with these interviews, we're using our two-fart smartphone to interview him. I was really into the computer for a long time, but then I realized it's going to come back and bite us in the behind, and yeah. it has. How? Because it's created a veil, and everything on the other side of that veil is virtual, artificial, synthetic, soulless, and sterile. And, uh, it is, and, and it's dehumanizing us, it's destroying business, the party is over. And, and young people like them are going to spend their whole lives just staring at a computer screen the rest of their life. That's what we're avoiding out here, talking to people in person. Okay, good. This is one of my favorite guitar shops on earth, and it's a typical day here. Over in one corner, there's a beginner plucking away at a handmade guitar, while in the other corner sits Taj Mahal and Keb Mo. For real, those guys. You can hear them picking in the background while we talk. Next question, next, come next on. Question. Go ahead. Um, I'm still thinking. My okay. turn. Okay, man, you got the questions, I can tell. Why is your name hot? Fat dog. Fat dog, whoops. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. When you look at all the critters in the animal kingdom, all of them, there's so many different animals out there, one of the happiest critters and ecstatic critters is a fat dog. And this is why. What does a fat dog want to do first? Sleep. He wants to eat. Eat. He wants to sleep. He wants to play. And it wants to sniff around the neighborhood and just has a great time, right? Mm-hmm. And my yes. mommy called me Fat Dog when I was a little boy because of that. It's a good name. Okay, next question. Uh, You're the uh, one with the questions. Come I have on. One. Why do people come here instead of like. Why do they come here and what? Yeah, why do most people come here? Well, most people don't come here, but the people that come here are very lucky. This is sort of like the old-style music store that used to be around years and years ago. Today, you have the Ikea-style music store, which is, once again, soulless and sterile, and it just has a bunch of new instruments made in in, uh, Asia that are made by kids a little bit older than you. They get paid about 15 cents an hour. Isn't that neat? You want to earn 15 cents an hour making guitars for people? No. Yes. That is so much fun. So, <laughs> What do you think he's being right now? What's... He's being sarcastic. That's the right word, sarcastic. You are so smart. You know the word sarcastic. But what happens is, is that most people are so used to consuming in a sterile environment that is soulless and uh, just like a neat little tidy thing that they come in here and they go, whoa, I can't even, you know, be in here, you know. What can we do to preserve this? What do we, what we need to have more instruments made in this country and people need to stop wanting to consume stuff made by uh, young children that is being made for, minim- for not even minimum wage because my generation failed their kids. Subway? <laughs> Okay, let's take a step back here. Yes, that's me. This episode is mostly about technology. You're speaking with Mr. Fat Dog, the owner of this business. And how we relate to technology. Uh, you're going way too fast. I didn't hear what you said. Some better than others. Oh, you've already called me a few times. And uh, I don't have any of those services. I just have local calls. I don't have long distance or internet or anything. Some of us are proud Luddites. I sell mostly to people that walk in and buy guitars from me. Guitars, basses, amps, strings, and mandolins. Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> Why do but, they but, keep calling you? What? They're, they're trying to sell me some stupid stuff on a, on, on a cell phone, which I don't want. Yeah. We mostly use it as a recording device. Yeah, no, that's but... good. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm guilty. Guilty okay. sometimes. Yeah, I don't even want it. We call this the pacifier. Everybody is there all the time going, blah, 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 blah. Every time they're nervous, they pull it out and they just look at it to see if somebody called them, right? What do you do when you're nervous? That's a good question. Well, I don't have a mobile phone, <laughs> so I just sort of look around and I, I meditate and I look mm -hmm. at stuff. Do you like it when people come in and talk your ear off? You seem pretty patient. Yes, I like it. This is like a barber shop, and uh, like the old barber shop where they talk about books, they talk about politics, they talk about music. But what you saw today, it, it's a little was a little bit exceptional. But it's 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 that maybe it's that, but with different people. Here's some tape from them. Oh, yeah. They just gave me 20 reels of two-inch tape to reuse. Yeah. So you have a two-inch machine? Yeah, and, wow. and I have I have wire recorders up there and. Uh, Machines that cut live 78. I mean, you're all over the place. You're making guitars. You've got a camp where people can come and learn how to make like it. The, the ranch is a number of things. It has a lot of stuff. It has a guitar shop where all these people come and make guitars, some college oh. students. Uh, it has a lot of organic agriculture. And it has uh, a lot of it is, is my peers that have no money and no health care that are going to heaven. They can go up there and spend the last part of their life and be in peace. There's been about two, two dozen people that were sick or in trouble that lived up there. There's so much in there with this fellow Fat Dog. There's his ad hoc hospice and famous blues musicians who come into his shop and his antiquated recording media. So how does technology relate to all this? There's a thread here. It's humans and donuts and typewriters and the Amish and animation and Luddites. Let's start with donuts. Coffee and a donut. Pretty excited about it. Let's go grab coffee with one of Portland's most successful business people, founder and owner of Voodoo Donuts, Trace Shannon. I bet you guys are fascinated because I have this flip phone. What's that? <laughs> What's that? Isn't that hilarious? In August, mine just fried. It totally just went, it just fried, but my phone. And that's huge because it has all my contacts, all my everything. And there's no backup. Because you don't use a computer? Or? I don't use a computer. I don't have email. Um, when I used to book bands and things, there wasn't a computer. There was, you know, I had a fax machine, and you still got tapes and CDs. I even resisted fax machines. Yeah, I, I didn't understand them. They, they made me mad. I liked them because I worked at Kinko's, and I used to have to send them, and I used to be able to make the noise, which is... I can't get these anymore. This phone is very difficult to find. I've had people look all over the place. It's a flip phone. You can, you know, it's a, they don't make them obviously anymore. They're, there's only like two in the country that are reconditioned. I have them both. Wow. Okay, um, so if anybody's listening in, in the drawer, yeah, you've yeah, got a I've Samsung. Got a, it's a, well, if the model number is here, I've got to turn it off. And, yeah, it, it's maroon, okay. maroon but and gold. You, uh, but that, most of the paint's worn off of this thing. Yeah, it's an SGHT339. Okay, we'll be on the lookout. Yeah, and the you know the batteries and the whole deal. But um, tricorder style. What's super complicated is that they've just stopped doing computer backup with it. There used to be a deal that I could go into a T-Mobile place, backup my stuff, and it would be uh, that God that would make me feel so good right now. Somebody must have a hack for this. There must be other people out there like you. I mean, well, and what I've done, and I've started, I've been typing them up. Oh, what right I've been doing. Yeah, so I have a typewriter at my home, and I have a typewriter at my desk at work. I'm kind of amazed that they don't really teach typing anymore, but they teach computers, which is typing. Do so. they teach you guys typing? 
We're sort of just learning how to log on at um, log off, do Microsoft Word, do um. Do you feel your clip art? Clip art. Color. Wait a second. They don't have an art program in their school. None. Zero. But they're learning how to do clip art. Typing always reminded me of kind of playing the piano. Have you ever used a typewriter? Yeah. Click, 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 click. Yeah, I only use it like once. Now, a lot of people, a lot of real famous authors and things, they can only really type on a typewriter. They either want to do, like Stephen King, I think I think he writes everything by hand, and then he has somebody to type it up for him. Here, Trace Shannon has planted a seed, as you'll see later in the episode. Turns out technology is one of Trace's favorite topics. He brought a copy of The New Yorker back to an article called I Used to Be Human by Andrew Sullivan. Ten years ago, there were no smartphones. <laughs> and as recently as 2011, only a third of Americans owned one. So five years ago, only a third of Americans owned one of these things. And now nearly two-thirds do. And the figure reaches 85% when you're only counting young adults. Um, the device went from unknown to indispensable in less than a decade. And the handful of spaces where it once was impossible to connect, the airplane, the subway, the wilderness are dwindling. Even hikers' backpacks now come fitted with battery power for smartphones. Perhaps <laughs> the only safe space that still exists is the shower. Is that a bad thing? Well, I think so. Everybody's <laughs> looking down now. No one stares this way anymore. And we're getting hunched over, and we're, we're losing the basic things that make human beings unique as a species in that we are able to communicate with each other in such a way and we're losing that we don't know how to we don't know how to be humans really anymore with these things the most terrifying thing to me isn't necessarily the technology but i think the speed in which we just all we're all in we're like yep we're doing this and you have to have a new apple freaking phone every year it's it's incredible isn't it and then and then that's ridiculous too because i experience this all the time at voodoo and it's just so frustrating What type of technology was helpful when you started your business? That's a great question. Um, I would say for me, even though I'm a just technological phobe, this flip phone made all the difference. My contacts, being able to get a hold of people, you know, as soon as as soon as you can. And then I think probably the biggest thing that we probably have done technology-wise is we finally got a point-of-sale system three years ago. Before then, we just used a cash register because we were an all-cash business. Now I know how many bacon maple bars we sold as opposed to just guessing. (laughs) We had no idea. We know we sold a lot. Now I can know that we sold 347,000 bacon maple bars and realize that the bacon maple bar is our biggest seller. And again, with technology, I'm not a total Luddite. More and more and more, I just think that we're going to be alive to see it kind of crumble onto itself, and it might have some problems that we might not be able to get out of. What do you think a Luddite really is? That's a good question, too. As I say, I don't feel that I'm a Luddite. No, I don't have a computer at home. No, I don't use a computer at work. Yes, I have a flip phone, but I don't consider myself a Luddite. The disconnection between people seems to be your main beef with... Yeah, I think coffee shops, you know, traditionally it always been a place where people gather and you hang out and you, you read and you talk and you, it's where i met all my best friends my musical yeah, partners yeah, open bars yeah. or coffee shops and you know these sort of public places and these public places are slowly becoming just insular and you're just by yourself working in public i want to go to this coffee shop and leave all my folded up newspapers everywhere but you can't find newspapers because it's all on your phone and i don't want to read the freaking newspaper on the phone i want to fold it and crumple it and do the things that you do with newspapers they're tactile I mean, 
I don't care what anybody says. Reading a book on your computer or your phone is not as cool as bringing a book. Dana found a typo in a book she was reading the other day. No. They, she dog-eared the page, and the, the book is more beloved because she found this typo. But if it were a book online or a book, uh, an electronic version, it would probably somebody would have flagged it and it would have gotten fixed, right. taking all the humanity out of it. There's probably worse editing now. And, you know, and I don't know how I feel about punctuation kind of going away. I don't know how I feel about, you know, the word thought, T-H-O-T, instead of T-O-U-G-H-T, you know, I... Important question, though. Donut or donut? Oh, D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, please. Well, why? Because you make them out of dough, not do. But why the, all the extra letters? Why should I have to go to all that extra trouble? Because you just have to. <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> that was part of the reason we opened a business, is to get donut spelled correctly again. And as far as I can tell, it used to be spelled donut, D-O-U-G-H, for a long time. And my theory is that maybe during World War II, there was maybe a neon shortage or some kind of, some kind of neon issue where the U's and the G's and things, or there just wasn't enough. So they just said, oh, let's, instead of going this far with it, let's go this far with it. I think it had to do with trust. There were too many silent letters in those days, and people didn't trust silent letters, so they got rid of the U-G-H. I thought not. <laughs> D-O-U-G-H. Got points with Trace on that one. Um, how long has Voodoo Donuts been around? We've been open 13 and a half years. We opened our first shop 13 and a half years ago. Wow. There are three Portland stores, one in Eugene, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, Universal Studios in Los Angeles, and one in Taiwan. In addition, Trace does a lot of different stuff, from running a record label to fronting something called Karaoke from Hell. Um, karaoke from Hell is a live band karaoke, so it's karaoke just like you get it. You get the words, and uh, we've been doing it for 25 years. And there's no screen with the lyrics, right? You, you get a page with the a lyrics. paper, right? Yeah, you get paper. Imagine yeah. such a thing. And then I'm kind of the bouncing blue ball and help you out. We have two guitars, a bass, and a drummer, and uh, <laughs> and I play kazoo's and slide whistles. And oh, so you get up, you sing with the band, and singing with a live band is so much crazier than singing with the machine the human element again it, this is kind of anti-technology in a way too is this it's such a we can screw up too you know you could be the best singer in the world and we we mess up the intro or the ending or the middle part and we just kind of get through it and it's a karaoke is i think a great thing that's always brought people together in such a weird way i don't think it's ever going anywhere every little dumpy town throughout the united states of america they're going to have a karaoke night in some little bar um, but it really is a way that gets people together singing sadness, weird stuff that's happened to you. If you get on stage and you sing, things are different. Do you know, do you know where uh, the word Luddite comes from? No. Where does... It comes from my homeland and it comes from very close to where I live. The Luddites were a group of people in the Industrial Revolution that were against the industrialization of weaving. Manchester was the center of the Industrial Revolution in England, and the Luddites were a group of people that realized that that was basically going to take their jobs away. So their ideals were to stop this new invention that was taking their jobs away by going out and literally smashing the mechanized looms and making a point protesting that it was taking their livelihoods away. Georgina Haynes is the chief puppet maker for Leica, the movie house that makes Academy Award winning feature length films, Coraline, Kubo, using stop motion animation. 
We're walking our dogs. You're kind of a Luddite. You are a, film, a, you're a filmmaker. I am a Luddite. But you only work in stop motion mm -hmm. animation. Yep. Throughout my career in the film industry, there has been a lot of pressure for me to become comfortable with computers in my job. And I've always, I've always stood my ground. And I was known as the Queen Luddite of stop motion animation for a long time. That's saying a lot, because stop motion animation is its own... It's its own Luddite field. So to be the queen of it really meant that you, special. Had, you had vowed never to have a computer. What do you do your work on? Um, everything is handmade. So we make puppets, which are made with fabrics. They're made with rubbers and silicons and we solder tiny skeletons together to articulate them everything's done by hand we have had to accept some computer technologies over time but i vowed when i was a young kid i was never going to have a computer um the first day of my job and the first thing i saw on my desk at work was a computer an empty gray desk i'm a creative i'm a puppet maker empty gray desk with a computer in the middle of it well that was not a good starting point i switched it on i opened my email there was an email from my assistant who was sat next to me good morning georgina would you like me to set up any meetings today and i popped my head up over the wall and went you know Maybe you should ask me things like that because it's going to take me about three hours to reply to you because <laughs> I can't figure out what buttons to press. I'm a Luddite. If you go to see Per and Norman or the Box Trolls, there's all these incredible special effects, only most of them aren't. Most of them are just painstakingly moved puppets and little tiny pieces of fabric and that's your world right that is my world and my part of that world is very handmade so and that's why i love it and that's why i'm involved in it because i want to be working with actual objects speaking to actual people i try to learn photoshop because i'm an artist and i think it's a really interesting program but it makes no logical sense to me so it's as if my brain was never set up for this world of technology. Everything was very tactile and personal as I was growing up. I had a family that was all about showing me things and talking to me about things to learn about things. It was, it was tactile, it was vocal, conversation, questions, answers in a real world. Why should I look onto a computer for those answers when I could actually go out into the world and find them? Why is that better? I'm trying to get to the core of why it's better, because we have this gut sense that it is better to talk to people in person. That's what this all show's about. Yeah. And to touch things as we're learning about them and to manipulate objects. But I would just advocate for the other side. Isn't it magic? And isn't it a great equalizer that you can put a screen that explains cellular mitosis in front of a kid in the desert in Africa and that kid could learn about that even though he doesn't have all of the tools and the microscopes and the actual so we're kind of homogenizing the entire world it is a positive on a level of politics and poverty but what is there going to be to learn about in in actual reality and physicality if everything is in a box that we can look into but isn't a book just a box you can look into no there's something about a computer for me in particular that just draws me in and part of my brain switches off when i'm in a computer what is it about the internet that draws you in it's it's designed to take the human brain and 
stimulate it in a way that it's like a drug, you can't put it down. But when you get off that drug, you're in a weird zombie state. And for me, it's a really important part of my life experiencing and touching and talking to people and looking into their eyes when I'm talking to them because part of the conversation I have with people is actually it's beyond words coming out of the mouth it's connecting with them and when you're on a computer screen and Skype and all of those things are the worst way of connecting it jars with me in the film there's a scene where the mother is explaining a story to Kubo, and she comes alive and is more lucid than any, any other moment because she's telling a story. Now, she could just tell it sitting down, but instead she dances around the room, which must have been an incredible challenge because the way the fabric moves. Oh, my God. That scene for me is just celebrating how her robes move on her and how her hair moves and every bit of the movement. It's really interesting that you noticed that because that was probably one of the most challenging sequences in the entire movie. Why? Well, because to start with, she's wearing a kimono that is based on a 15th century Heian-style kimono from Japan. That's an item of clothing that was worn in history in a country that is very proud of their history and their culture. Those kimonos had up to 50 layers of silk in them. So actually, when a woman was wearing a kimono like that, they hardly moved at all. But that sequence, it's about the mother coming to life. You see this life in her. And Travis, as the director, really wanted fluid movement in the fabric. We tried to sell him on the fact that, that they he, were stiff. That he and Kimono doesn't move, and he's like, forget that. You know, it's a. It's She's flowing at this moment. Story. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, we had to work out how to make, and we made most of the costumes, most of the kimonos, out of silk which we then had to structure from behind with wires, um, graphic lining, which informed the fabric to move in certain places and not move in others. So this lining had a weight to it. And then there's all the outrigging. So as she's swooshing around in circles in the cave, you've got to actually animate that hair, either strand by strand or clump by clump. And the way we, we do that is by off-rigging the hair at the at the tips. So you're holding the hair in space. Oh, yeah. Wow. So the head is one holding point, the end of the hair is another. And because her hair was so long, we had rigging points midway through wow. her hair. How many hairs? Oh. Thousands? Thousands, probably, yeah. So a stop-motion animator is somebody who actually manipulates the puppet's body, the hair, the costume, anything that is in Anything that, that moves. Anything that moves in a shot, and they are moving it frame by frame. They have this mindset that observes reality in the real world, and they're able to break it down into frames and move a piece of fabric 24 times to make it look like it's fluid. It's an art form. In stop-motion animation, as with other animation, 24 frames makes one second of film. An animator's life, in a week, they hope to get four to five seconds of film in the can. Why is it better 
than doing it in a virtual world. You know, I I think you have to ask the people that watch it. There's a magic about stop motion for the same reasons that people are going back into their gardens in droves and digging the earth and people are looking back at all the craft skills that they used to do a hundred years ago and they're revisiting those craft skills. I think people want the physicality of the world. Stop motion animation, you have a physical object in a real physical environment. So it's a dimensional environment with a physical puppet in it. CG, everything has been created in the computer virtually. And the background, the character, it's all created in a two-dimensional world with pixels and it's created whereas our things are real. You can't just fake it? Down to the three-year-old kids that watch our movies, they know that there's something different and they're drawn to it. Adults, teenagers and kids all see the difference between the virtual world and the real world. So you guys, where are we going right now? To the typewriter store! Why would anybody have a store for just typewriters? Because they're awesome! Right. Because they're Luddites! Because they're awesome! Why is it awesome? Because it gives you a lot more satisfaction than just hearing the click and then seeing it appear on the screen. Well, you actually get to see it appear on the paper instead of the screen. You like that. What did you ask for for Christmas? Uh, a typewriter. An old-fashioned one. Why old-fashioned? Uh, because I've used one before and I thought it was awesome how there wasn't any like backspace and it made it totally blank. You just had to press this thing where it goes back but then you have to press it like two times to make the letter bold enough so you can know that that's the right letter. Ah. You know that letter that I gave you in kindergarten or first grade? That was from the typewriter. We're gonna go look at typewriters. We're gonna talk to the guy who owns this typewriter store. Is that it? Is that nope, it? it's over there. How's it going? Good, good. Hi, my name's Veronica. My name's Dana. My name's Matt McCormick uh, at Ace Typewriter, 7433 North Lombard in St. John's, Oregon. So who wants to go first? Me. Me. I'm ready. What, in your opinion, is better about typewriters than computers? Well, there's, there's character with a typewriter. Mm -hmm. What you put into it is what you get. Computers are necessary evils, and, but they're utilitarian. They can be as fun as you want, but uh, I don't find much fun in them. There's a finality with a typewriter. What you put on the page is on the page. And, uh, there's no delete. You have to think a little bit before you put it on the paper. It's like an extra layer of processing right, right. that word processing doesn't have. Right. Everything is done initially instead of through drafts and recopies. Why do you think authors like Stephen King like to write on a typewriter? Yeah, good question. I, I get a lot of authors in here. And, yeah. Uh, David Schaefer, just, he's got a popular novel now. He, he won't type on anything but his uh, IBM Selectric. So. Vern, yours is next. <gasps> These are beautiful machines. Why are the modern computers so ugly? <laughs> plastic. It's much easier to produce things and much cheaper in plastic. So, But plastic has no style. But the keys on the old ones are plastic, right? Well, I like that there. It's a hard rubber Bakelite mix. Until after World War II, there was very little types of plastic. So. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? Yes, I am. 
Have you guys seen The Graduate? Plastics. See it again. Plastics have gotten a bad rap since the beginning, since before we knew they were choking our oceans and leaving behind carcinogens. Now, Bakelite is sexy by comparison, retro, cool, but still plastic. They started making it in 1909 out of formaldehyde and phenol, and it's still made. Why is that typewriter look so different? Well, the Oliver was a machine all itself. Uh, keys came down like horseshoes. And they were quite popular at the time. Really? A lot uh, of those made, right? It just has a totally different way of... It's... Yeah, they were made from about 1890 to about 1920. So. Oh, is that right? Wow. This typewriter types sideways. You can, you can see right through the middle. It's a strange machine that E.M. Forster and Franz Kafka used. There's a picture on our website. Okay, Vern, what's your next one? Can you point out your favorite machine and tell us why you like it so much? Well, yes. This one, uh, 1931 L.C. Smith. Wow. Practically new old stock, and I just love the color. New old stock, meaning it, this has never been restored. Well, it's been I, cleaned up. But. I put a new platen in it because it was so hard, but other than that, it was like new when I got it. Platen, Scrabble word, is the rubber roller on a typewriter. Pull that one out, get some bonus points against your opponent. So why is this one your favorite? Most machines, this has a sliced piece of iron here that the keys go through. Uh -huh. This is all... Every one of these keys has, rides on 16 ball bearings. Wow. Very smooth machine to type. Way ahead of its time in 1931. People demanded more style back then. No one does nowadays, but I know, a flat laptop is sufficient. Cars all look alike. They're blobs. Sure. Was style a luxury or a status symbol? Why, why aren't we more stylish now? These are really beautiful machines. I mean, Vern made a good point. Yeah, in any given piece of machinery, it was mandatory. I mean, even a Model T had pinstriping. Yeah. And in factory equipment, it was the way they would set up the bracing so that it would have shear strength. Right. The braces had a beautiful arch to them and an the engine. In, in them, yes. Yeah, and right. now it's just whatever you can weld in there. Right. You might have missed it because I talked over him, but in there he said the word OG. That's O-G-E-E. -E. Decorative, industrial, or architectural detail that's sort of two S's that face each other. Another great Scrabble word. You're welcome. Yep. Was it because we didn't know about efficiency yet and the bottom dollar line hadn't been figured out yet? Or? I think so. Uh, slower world, yeah. We had the time luxury to enjoy these things. Right, right. And like I say, it was almost demanded of by the public. I don't know if it was a status thing, but the uh, secretary couldn't have an ugly typewriter when her the person at the next desk had a pretty one. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get this typewriter to do cursive? Well, actually, that was typed on another machine. Mm. Well, what's your next question that you wrote down earlier? Have you ever thought about starting a store with modern office equipment? No. Uh, 30 years ago, we sold modern office equipment, and uh, we were pretty much, pretty much trampled by the competition, so we went back to manual typewriters. How many years have you been in business? Well, my father started here in 1961, so wow. I grew up here. But Are you the specialist in the Northwest for typewriters? So they say. So they say. <laughs> Would you say you are fully a Luddite? Yes. Uh, yes, I would. Uh, until last year, I, I drove a 50-year-old car every day, and uh, I had to upgrade to a 92, but I used a rotary phone. Never had a cell phone. Right there. Yeah. So you have a stronger index finger than the average person. Just, yeah. <laughs> so you refinish these, and you sometimes give them an aesthetic makeover, but you also make sure that they are in tip-top condition from the inside out. Oh, yeah. I, I've got all the books to set them to back to factory specifications. And, you know. 
where do you get parts for something like this anymore, like the ball bearings for each key? Uh, you don't. We've never thrown anything out around here, so I've got just about anything that is needed comes down the pike. I couldn't store all this stuff if I had to move. But... So there's thousands of little boxes of parts. Oh, yes. And do you ever have to make a part, machine a part? Yeah, many times. I built my own little lathe, and wow. it's, it's really primitive. Oh, it's my turn to ask one. Okay, let's hear it. Why would someone not want to use technology? That's a good question. I've avoided it all my life, but uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, I've always looked at a cell phone as a leash. My girlfriend every year threatens to get me a cell phone. But... <laughs> well, at least the relationship has lasted. Really? Yeah, true, yes. Can I put it in the paper in that one? Certainly. Yeah, let's put, let's put Which the paper Which side in. is it going? Try typing something. She is into this. Hang on. Hair in her face, lips curled. She looks like some crazy 20th century author in the midst of a stroke of genius. Now, hit pause for a second. Now, okay, so remember the feel of that one. Let's take this paper out and just pull it out like that. I wanted to say she looked like Ursula Le Guin or Willa Cather, Virginia Woolf. And later that night, I snuck onto the Googles to find such a picture of a woman author at her typewriter, but I couldn't find one. In fact, for nearly all women authors in the 20th century, you don't find that passionate, must-hair, working author at their typewriter shot. Those were for men. Women authors were promoted with glamour shots taken in parlors or studios. Do an image search yourself for your favorite woman author of the 20th century, followed by the words, at typewriter, and then do one for your favorite male author, and you'll see what I mean. I was able to find a few typewriter shots of Ayn Rand and Agatha Christie. But there are exceptions, and there aren't very many. Try man at typewriter versus woman at typewriter and be ready for a pile of images that sort of sum up stereotypes that are still with us. And that's why I'm standing here with my daughters in a typewriter store looking at a new 21st century direction for them, I hope. Are there some things you use now that you call modern technology? Oh, good question. Uh, the power windows in my little Honda out there, I, I like that, but... That's about all. What's the most surprising customer you've ever had walk in here? Surprisingly, I get a lot of children. And years later, people will come in and tell me that their children are in college now, but they uh, got them the typewriter at nine years old, and they apparently had some impact. Hey, we're walking down the sidewalk, and I, your, um, your shoes are untied. You to tie it. Why do you think we still have shoelaces? Shoelaces seem like kind of an antiquated technology. I don't know, and you blame me when they come undone? Uh, no, I'm going to blame the technology, oh. or lack thereof. I'm going to say that shoelaces are sort of Luddite technology. Yeah, but can you tie my Luddite technology shoelace? We're standing outside of Ankeny Hardware, and we're going to go talk to them, because they have kind of an unusual setup. Apparently, Luddites don't use WD-40. That always smells good in a hardware store. You have a number... We bought a few things, a bit, and a few self-topping screws. 2142W. It took quite a while. $2.25. There's no register, no computer. Is this your stuff here? Mm-hmm. There's a screw in it, you're home free. Instead, a huge counter full of boxes and boxes of cards. So this is Norman's world. What do you see here? Tons and tons, like millions of cards. Yeah. How many really cards are there here on the table? 35,000. If you come over here, 
The cards are broken up by sector. Norm's cards are four by six inch Manila cards filled with neatly written ballpoint pen notes. There's 50 or so data points on them. But would you like me to show you a card and show you how they work? Yes, please. Okay. This particular card has every bit of information about this item, a knife blade, dating back to when they first started carrying it, 1980. SKU stands for SKU Stock Keeping Unit. And there's more than 35,000 more of these cards right here on the counter in front of us. And then here it tells you how many. Right now we have 555. I have a question. What are these little red thingies for? Well, those red clips tell us when a card gets below the order point, it's time to order. So it tells us to order it. They stopped making the red clips because they were obsolete. They were so old, nobody was using them except us. Actually, the company sent us 10 boxes free to get rid of them. So there's one advantage of being a Luddite is that sometimes you get some really cool stuff that is outdated. I know you girls weren't around yet, but there was something called Y2K in the year 2000 when it turned from 1999 to 2000. Everybody thought that the world was going to end and all the computers were going to stop because you were going from to a whole different digit system. Everything was rolling over. So all the, our accounts that we sell to that are government accounts sent us letters saying, is your system Y2K compliant? <laughs> We would take a photograph of this, and we'd send it back to him with a letter saying, we're Y2K, we're Y3K, we're Y4K, we're about, if there's a fire, we're in trouble, we're screwed if there's a fire. <laughs> so we're back to, everything was in paper. We do a big inventory party at our house once a year. We have about 15 or 20 people come. We bring all the cards to my house. My wife makes a really big breakfast, and we start flipping cards and writing totals and costs. We know how much inventory is. We know if we made or lost money during the year. Wow, that's your accounting system. That's your P&Ls. Our accounting system used to be called the swag system. What does that mean? Everything was a swinging wild ass guess. It's <laughs> called swag. And now it's these cards. Which yes. ones are the um, newest? Well, we just got in some new wrenches in, Chan in Cooper in um, April, a few months ago. Because it's a new product. New product. Do you like using computers? I wasn't raised with computers. I'm too old. How old do you think I am? Um. 57? You're really close. I'm 61. Sometimes computers can be kind of scary. I think if I'm going to push the wrong button, the whole thing may go kaboom and blow up. I always think it'd be nice to convert the system to a computer, but it's working, so why do I need to change it? And it's nothing that you girls would ever feel comfortable with 10 years from now if you came to work here, but for us old people, we're kind of used to it. You don't consider yourself to be a Luddite. You just have a system that would make any Luddite excited here. I would think that'd be a fair thing to say. So you don't sell it. The, the latest tool that comes out, they make a million of them in China just to get it on the shelves. You're but not it's gonna not very, find it here. Yeah. The wrench that grabs the nut in a new way. You're not gonna find it here. Yeah. What's your favorite tool that you can't get anymore that maybe you can only get here? A long time ago, produce came in wood crates. What would you hold a wood crate together with? Exactly. This was used for oak pulling nails out of wooden crates. Hmm. We probably sell about one a year, but we still buy them. Because they're cool. Made, just because there's something different. We have a lot of odd things here, but we say nothing we sell is like ladies' clothes or butter. It doesn't go out of style or spoil. Everything here is always fashionable. We have cultivated a customer base that appreciates quality, and that's what we try and sell. And I never get upset if somebody says, I don't want to pay $12 for that screwdriver. I want a $2 screwdriver. And we tell them there's places they can go. But the <laughs> so nicely, yes. nicely. <laughs> but the majority of society, sadly, has gotten used to 
how cheap can I get it? And it becomes a throwaway society. Everything now is being made with planned obsolescence. We are dinosaurs, <laughs> but it's okay to be dinosaurs. And thankfully you have people that appreciate being old fashioned. Uh, some people say we're too slow here because we handwrite our invoices and things like that. But we always feel penmanship's kind of nice to look at when it's done well instead of just, uh, you know, looking at a computer printout. So then you're an esthete. I will put it this way. It's been a wonderful hobby for 53 years of my life. I've never had a real job. My dad and I worked together for 40 years. Wow. My dad was my best friend. I could probably count the arguments we had on one hand. I miss my dad every day. He and I worked together for 40 years. These guys and their dads, hmm. When I first set out and discovered that the way things worked in my home were not the only way things worked in the world, it strained my bond to my parents. Now, because of technology, all these worldly ways are right there. My daughters see them every day at age seven. More on this in just a bit. You girls have fun driving across the country, or is it boring? Why, when, why in the world would we do it if it was boring? Well, I don't know. Did you, did you say, are we there yet? Once, and we never did it again, because Dad told us that the more you say that, the longer it's going to take. Yeah, they don't ask that. Just ignored us. Do you have any warnings about technology before we turn this thing off? Warnings about technology? I'm not smart enough about technology to give warnings. The hardware store here is 110 years old. It's been in my family for 68 years. I've been here for 54 years. He started working when he was seven, just like you guys are doing right now. See, how much do you think I used to get paid a day? 15 cents? You're not far off. I got a dime a day. And my dad would give me a nickel, wow. and a nickel had to be saved. And when I got up to $5 of savings, it went in the bank. But I got the nickel of the day. Which is more than my girls are getting paid. <laughs> However, we have started a fund for future projects, which includes empowering young women through education, which makes this as good a time as any to tell you that Rome School is now a nonprofit 501c3 organization. So if you click on the donate button at our website, you can support us as we start conversations with people and foster curiosity and discovery, and you can save on your taxes. So now let's pivot to a different type of struggle with technology. We've talked with people about business and aesthetics and touched a little on personal relationship with technology. But for the last chapter of this show, we're going to focus on religion and technology, or at least one aspect of it, and that's the Amish. We talked to Sam about his tenuous but very deliberate relationship with technology. My name is Sam from the North Farmers Market, Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. Beautiful countryside. I grew up on a farm. Uh, unfortunately, the farms are a little scattered right now with urban development and so forth, so we obviously need to get jobs outside of the farm at this point. So that's exactly why we're in a farmer's market atmosphere. I think a, plain, a simple life is basically what we strive for in, in the Amish culture. There's no electricity, no television, no electricity, uh, telephones are limited. Uh, we all feel that uh, modernization is the, the evil way, if you will. I mean, it's not necessarily the evil way, that's, that's not the correct form. Um, I want to say more the way of the world, but why is that wrong? We feel staying away from the worldly culture is going to keep our families a little more secure in our environment. There's a lot of people that do have some electricity, um, and they try to regulate it to some extent, but you know how that works. It doesn't work. You can't regulate anything that's available for you at all times. You can't. There's no way out there. 
there's there's people that have the solar panels and that does regulate them to some extent but you know how that works the best way to regulate something is not have it available okay so this issue is something that the amish have had to think a lot about they've had a lot of discussions a lot of compromises have been reasoned through and a lot of hairs have been split Rechargeable batteries is basically what I've talked about. Uh, like the contractor-grade batteries, like cordless DeWalt and uh, Makita cordless sets, they have very good lighting systems with that, uh, that we can recharge off a of 12 volt. Our carriages that we use on the road with our horses, um, those have 12 volt systems, which is basically the exact same thing as your vehicle. Now, it does not have an alternator to recharge the battery, so we need to physically take the battery out of the carriage, put it on an alternator, run by a propane run motor to recharge it, to use it for our lighting systems in our, in our carriages. It's like their philosophy about independence. It's complex. So they've got their own health insurance, and in most cases their own schools, and in many ways they're off the grid. But they use some technology, and they use U.S. dollars, for example. They have a careful, a tenuous handshake with the outside world. In a sense, we're self-sufficient but we still depend on the outside world to help us out, which is not a bad thing. I feel it's important that we interact with the outside, I mean, outside of the Amish culture. I definitely feel that. As I was growing up, my life was on the farm, and that's where I was. I mean, I, was, I led a very sheltered life. That, to me, that saddens me that my children are not able to see that because I feel living a sheltered life like that is an effective way of living the Amish culture. And that's impossible to do in this time and age and the way things are today. Obviously, the farms are becoming far and few in between. It's hard for us with the smaller farms to make a living off of the farm. So that means we need to step outside and, and look what's what's available for us outside of the farm. I honestly feel a family interaction needs to be placed on the farm. The whole family working together. Everybody goes out, we milk the cows in the first thing in the morning. I'll, I'll go in with each other, eat breakfast. That doesn't happen anymore. I go to work before the kids are up. We kind of adapt to it. It's just the security of a family life on the farm is lost, I feel. The farm was always, to my way of thinking, the way to teach children how to work. I realize there's child labor laws that are in effect now that could somewhat hinder that. But honestly, a child typically, unless forced to work, will take care of his body to the extent that he knows how much he can handle. And I know there's people that would, would question the way the Amish children in general grow up. As they grow older, that's, you know, we need to work to make a living, basically. And physical labor in our culture is the best way to make a living. At this point, we would still believe that facing work with a strong arm will probably do the best for you. Sam's son helps out at the farmer's market. He's at, at 11 years old, he's, he's never seen anything else. I get out and I see things that he, that he won't see until he does the same thing as what I did. So basically at this point in his life, he's perfectly happy with, with the way he has it because he has no idea there's anything else different out there. That, that is the sheltered part that I'm talking about. Uh, to some extent sheltered, but to some extent innocent as well. As long as he doesn't get out and see the things that I've been seeing, he's going to think, hey, life is the way it is. At, at 11 years old and not getting outside besides, besides coming down here to the farmer's market is kind of the only thing that he ever really meets and greets every day as a as something outside of our home. I'm actually proud of my heritage and I feel it's I feel it's important to talk about it to be able to keep it moving. I mean I, you can't relate to other people about the experiences you share amongst the Amish culture. Uh, how are you supposed to, to enable other people to realize what kind of culture we live in?
And for me, to talk about it occasionally to somebody like you that has no idea is actually a good experience for me as well because it makes me realize that I need to appreciate some of the things that I have. There's so much about what Sam says that he actually doesn't say at all. Is there a defensiveness about the Amish as they relate to technology? We wanted more information about the Amish, so we made a rare request for a phone interview, and right on schedule, we got our call. Now, just a note to explain the very beginning of this, one of my favorite technologies uh, is currently customized ringtones. I think that's her calling. So here we go. Hello, Wanda. Oh, hi. This must be Jim. And also sitting here with a pair of headphones on. Dana. And? Vern. Thank you so much for calling us. All right. Well, you're welcome. Can you just introduce yourself and say what it is that you do? I'm Wanda Brunstetter, and I primarily write fiction novels about the Amish. I know them very well. Uh, My husband grew up in a Mennonite church, which is how we first began to know and meet the Amish. I've written over 80 books with over 9 million copies sold. That's a a lot of books. 80 (laughs) books. (laughs) You're probably the most trusted non-Amish author who writes about Amish culture. Well, that's what I've been told, and especially told from the Amish themselves. I've had even Amish bishops who say they read my books. Many of my children's books that have Amish themes are in Amish schoolhouses. They're very picky about what they will allow their children to I, read. I imagine so. they are, yeah. So some of your books are for children and some of them are romance novels, from what I understand. Right. And the majority of my books are the adult novels, mm-hmm. which have a twinge of romance in them. That's not their primary theme, but there's always that thread of romance in the books. So this show's mostly about technology, and to varying degrees, the Amish have rejected many of the forms of technology that you and I use every day. Why is that? The Amish will use modern technology when they're faced with having to use it. But in their own homes, they choose not to connect to electric power, and here's why. They know that once they do, they're going to then have their children wanting TVs and computers Their wives would probably want dishwashers and fancy clothes washing machines and that type of thing. And if they got those things, it would eventually tear apart their family connections. A lot of us English, as the Amish refer to us, spend too much time playing on computers uh, and watching TV. And it takes away from family time. It's It's a pleasure for us when we go visit our Amish friends because there is no TV we sit around and we visit. We English, we hardly know how to entertain ourselves without a TV on. So that's, that's the primary reason. They don't want to tear apart their family values. Do you think it's possible that the Amish will someday use technology to bring their families together? Like, like what we do when we're out on the road and we, we keep in touch. Text each other. Yeah. Do, we, <laughs> do they text each other? In, in Well, I guess they don't use cell phones for the most part. Well, actually, you'd be surprised how many of my Amish friends own a cell phone because they have a business and that's how they conduct some of their business. Here's an example. One of my Amish friends... Um, is an editor of a magazine that serves the Amish community. And in order for her to order things and to do her business, she has to have a computer. Now, she's not allowed to have that computer in her home, 
but in her place of business, which is away from the home, she can have the computer. And because she has the computer, she's able to send emails. So guess what? I email her and she emails me back, (laughs) strange as it may seem. But this is not the norm. Uh, Unless an Amish, as I say, family has their own business and needs a cell phone, usually they don't have them. Isn't it so often the case that your business is what takes you away from your family? How do they, how do they well, keep themselves from you, overworking? They do have that problem, too. They're, they're human, after all. So in answer to your daughter's question, I don't think that the Amish will ever totally come over uh, to the English way and our technology. But I do see them using more and more of it than they have in the past, say, 50 years. So there were, there were two aspects, really, of what you described earlier about why the rejection of technology. One was that it distracts from the family, mm-hmm. but the other was more of it, it lets elements of the outside world in. So Vern actually wrote down this question. Okay. What is it about the outside world that the Amish people want to keep out? Well, that's a very good question. Um, some of it is uh, the fact that we are caught up in worldly things that they don't want their children involved in. When an Amish teenager graduates from school, which at the age of 15, when they leave the eighth grade, they're done with their formal education. From that point on, they go and they learn a trade from a relative or they get a job. They don't want their children getting into things that our English children might get involved in during their teen years. However, Amish let their children go through a period they call rumspringa, which means running around. Uh, So they are, during this time, allowed the freedom to explore the English world a bit and see if they even want to join the Amish church or would they rather go the English way. Now, some of those kids will get into trouble during this time. They might smoke, and they might drink, and they might get involved in drugs or do other things that our kids today are wildly doing. Um, But most Amish have directed their children in such a manner that they have chosen not to go wild during the rumspringa. When my kids go to school, they might hear something that that maybe Donald Trump said into a microphone when he didn't know he was being recorded, and now it's all over the news. (laughs) If I have to worry about this with my kids, I can only imagine if I'm an Amish father and these girls that are sitting here are about to go on their rumspringa, what does that feel like? It it must be... (laughs) Yeah, I can't even imagine. Well, we've talked and shared with many Amish friends whose children are going through this period. It's a time when they're allowing their children to do this, but at the same time, they're trying to direct them and guide them because they have grown up in somewhat of a sheltered life, and that's really the way they prefer it. So to have them go into this time of running around where they might explore things they don't want them to is very very scary. So if, if, if I'm an Amish father and let's say Vern, she's my daughter here on my left, if she goes off and explores things, but let's say she doesn't get into any of the hedonistic things, but what if she falls in love with technology and becomes a computer programmer and sets uh-huh. up a Facebook page if it helps them keep in touch with each other in the community? Um, I actually know some Amish who are authors. Uh, they call themselves scribes. And um, they write on a a monthly column. And many of these who write this column are friends of ours. Because this is something the Amish read for entertainment. Right, yeah. And it's, but not not to pick apart the technology part of this, but do they use a feather and quill or do they use a typewriter or do they use a word processor? Well, a few of them will write out their 
their article for the month by hand. And they will then turn it in to the editor. She has the computer, so she'll have to type up what they turned in. Wow. Some of them have um, portable word processors that are run on batteries. Uh, are you familiar with the AlphaSmart? No. Okay, AlphaSmart. We just found one. Battery-powered word processor. Very simple machine. No other functionality. 25 bucks used on eBay. Pretty cool little machine to actually write a novel atop Half Dome or in an Amish village. The batteries last forever, which makes Dana happy, and no doubt pleases the Lord, who, as we've heard, seems to strongly prefer DC to AC current. So it's not an outright rejection of technology per se. It's a way of navigating so that you're sort of off the grid of influences of things that you don't want your family exposed to and so that you're also um, off the grid of sort of temptation from being sucked in to a schedule of keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly, exactly, because their priority is on God first and family second, not on things. Shiny, flashy, fast-moving items. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, they don't have that, and that's why they all dress in simple manner. And so each community sort of decides which rules are going to work best for that community. Exactly, sort of... or sometimes they might make an exception for somebody. Here, here's an example. We know somebody who's ill, and she requires a special light that she has to lay under so many hours a day. The church leaders decided that this family could have electricity in that one room so she can have this light, because uh, it's a life-or-death situation with her. Wow. So that's a, that's a lot of the times how they base their decision. How necessary is this? And that's another thing. A lot of people think, well, the Amish don't go to doctors. Well, that's totally not true. If they break a bone, they go to the doctor. If they have a heart attack, they go to the hospital. Vern, did you have a question? What do you mean by God first and then family? What I mean is the Amish have a very deep and strong faith in God. So everything they do, they do to please God. They're very helpful. If somebody is in trouble or in need, they're the first ones to drop everything and go help. Um, they are very regular in attending church. They read their Bible and do devotions. So to them, God is the most important thing, person, in their life. And second is their family and taking care of their family's needs, spending time with their family, as well as their their extended family and their friends. My girls are making faces because... We don't come. <laughs> they're trying to figure out why. It's, I guess to us, family includes all of your loved ones. Um, mm -hmm. And when you said that a devotion to God includes mm -hmm. being there for people when they need you, as your first mm -hmm. example there, that seems like a devotion to family, to us. C can you parse mm -hmm. that out? I'm, because of the faces my girls are making, it's. <laughs> they're not understanding. Well, uh, in the Bible, God tells us how we should react to other people including our family, love thy neighbor as thyself, as an example. And so because they follow the ways of the Bible and God's laws, that comes naturally to them. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with forgiveness. We often will struggle with forgiving somebody who has hurt us. And the Amish are human, so they struggle with it too, but they come around very quickly. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, there was a horrible shooting in an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. It was all over the news. This guy who had been a milkman came into their school and shot several Amish girls. It was very traumatic. The news media wanted to know, is it true that the Amish will forgive this man for what he did? And I told them it was true, they would, and, and the person interviewing me said, how? How could they possibly 
forgive for such a heinous crime. And I said, the forgiveness that these people found toward this man comes from only one source, and that's from their faith in God. Because God commands, we we must forgive in order to be forgiven. Okay, it may seem like we're a little far afield from the topic of technology, but it wasn't until I heard this interview a couple of times that I figured out how this relates. The thing is, when you're really connecting with someone in person, you kind of have to come to peace with each other. It's the opposite of anonymous commenting on the internet or fake news on Facebook or friends that you're not really friends with. It's the opposite of that, and it's rooted completely outside of technology. Okay, so here's, I think this is probably our last question. Thank you so much. Dana's going to try to read this one. Okay. Give it a shot. How are the different communities different as far as different technologies? Well, in Ohio, there's a community called the Schwarzentrubers. And these Schwarzentruber Amish are very, very plain, almost backwards. Um, the Amish that are more progressive refer to the Schwarzentrubers as the slow Amish because they have not advanced as far. They do not have running water. They heat their water on the stoves, very much like the pioneers. They use an outhouse. Uh, Everything about their lifestyle is plain. They would not have a cell phone. Even their their horse and buggies are different. No fancy anything on their buggies. Huh, no battery with safety lights? A lot of them don't have that, and boy, the, the, the state and the area there has come down hard on them because you can't see them at night. Right, yeah. Accidents occur. Whereas if you go into Indiana, around uh, Shipshawana, Middlebury, Indiana, where the Amish are a little more progressive, you're going to see... Blinkers, they'll have windshield wipers, battery-operated. They'll have their lights. Safety stuff. And they would be, yeah, they would be more apt to have a cell phone if they, if they had a need. Mm-hmm. Some are allowed to ride bicycles, and some are not. Um, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, they don't ride bikes. They have scooters. So there's a pretty wide array. To, to the outsider, that's confusing. Yeah. And um, I make it a practice to whatever book I'm writing to go into that area and to know the area, know the people, and make sure I have contacts. They're fiction novels based, again, on true facts. And my website is wandabrunstetter.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for um, thank you. for asking me to talk with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Wanda. Have, have a, a great day. day. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Wow. Wait, wait, let's talk about what just happened. That was fascinating. You guys were making the funniest face when she was talking about God and then family, because that's not how we live. But did you kind of understand? I did believe in God. I definitely do family before God. Well, everybody's got a different way of kind of defining it, too. God, to me, is a golden ray of sunshine shining down on Dooley, our dog, as he dreams about chasing butterflies in a field. He doesn't really chase butterflies. I think he'd be chasing squirrels. Yeah, there's too much carnage involved in chasing squirrels. What do you mean, carnage? Uh, well, he might chase the squirrel and kill it. But for me, God is, is in nature. That's just my personal belief. But I have great respect for people who believe um, that there is a, um, a God with a consciousness. What did you find most interesting about that conversation? Aren't scooters and bikes basically the same, except for bikes have a little bit more technology in them? Ah, yeah, I wish that we'd asked that. 
That's a good point. Scooters have no gears and bikes can have one gear. That's the only difference. So why does the pedals make it technology? There isn't any one rule book for the Amish, and there isn't any one rule book for how to really connect with somebody. What we have picked up is that sometimes technology helps and sometimes it hurts. So off we go to make the best of the most human, non-technological contact and to let that stand as best as we can, unhindered by our own technological impulses. And that's going to do it for this episode of Rome School. We hope you have time to go check out our website if you're listening on iTunes. You'll see pictures and other stuff that's not available anywhere else. That's romeschooled.com. I write and produce this show with my daughters. My name's Jim Brunberg. Their names are Veronica and Dana. I get a lot of help producing the show from Lydia Ritchie, who also does all of our design, and Ben Landsverk, who does the music with me under the name Wonderling. We'd really like you to subscribe to the show. We've been making the show for about a year now, and we know we want to get better at it and keep doing it. So we'll see you soon, whether you're out there high-tech or low-tech, finding stuff out.